Hello, and welcome back to Liberty Blues Network. I'm Sean Osborne. I'm Sean Phillips, attorney from the red state of Indiana. I'm Steve Marin, also from Indiana. And today we're joined by Tim Good. How's it going? It's going very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you want to you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? You're a, you're a bail bondsman. You're into um, uh, bail reform or uh, talking about the problems that we've had with it so far. Yes, I'm, but I feel like I'm with my brethren. So I'm an attorney who specializes in bail law. I represent bondsmen across the state of Texas. I'm also a member of the board of directors of the Professional Bondsman of Texas. Uh, I've argued several important cases in the in the bail world in Texas at the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, and so uh, I have some expertise about uh, bail reform and uh, and watching all these uh, reforms across the country and seeing how crime is increasing and seeing a, a correlation and noting where other people are finding correlations between them as well. Yeah. So one of the things you had noted, like. Like in a perfect world, what would you say would be good bail reform? Or is there such a thing? Yes, I think good common sense bail reform would be something that increases accountability. You know, across the country in our urban areas, we're doing bail reform that's causing uh, us to create systems that are a lot worse than what we had. So common sense bail reform would improve uh, the existing system, not make it a whole bunch worse. Do you see part of that as um, changes in, in laws just in general? Like, you know, me as a libertarian, I'm really against the war on drugs. And things like that. Like, if I if I don't see a victim, I don't see a crime. Uh, how do you how do you see that? Uh, what's your perspective? I do have a different perspective on that. Uh, probably a pretty big one. I see that. Uh, I agree with an article I read one time that said that almost all crime is an outgrowth from some type of drug crime. Uh, and so, if we give up on fighting uh, drug crimes, we're giving up on pretty much fighting crime. And so, I do have come from a different, very different perspective on that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I also would just note that, you know, these reforms that we're seeing across the country, it's not just me, like in Harris County, the Democratic district attorney has issued a report saying that the bail reforms enacted there are causing crime to increase. Wouldn't you say that that crime that comes from, say, drugs is due to its illegality? I mean, you know, I mean, alcohol, I'm sure there's lots of alcohol related crimes as well. Uh, well but I, think we a, I think there's a lot of theft crime that is people trying to get money uh, to buy drugs. I think there's a lot of breaking into homes. I think a lot of the Cadillac converter epidemics that we're seeing across the country from the people who are taking the Cadillac converters and getting pennies on the dollar, I think for them, it is just to get uh, a little bit of money. And in some in many cases, it's to get uh, so they can buy drugs. And then the people that they're selling it to are making a killing when they take it down to its core elements and sell it for $1,000 or more. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I could say, I mean, those might be some of the people doing it, but I would see it as probably a, a bigger statement about the economy being trashed and you know, people find other ways to make money because people over here, like in, I, I live in Los Angeles and some of the parks we have, people are, you know, raiding the bathrooms and tearing out all the copper and all that kind of stuff and selling that as well. You know, one of the parks I work at had that happen. I think as soon as it got fixed, it happened again. So I, I don't know if they're That's fixing true. it again or what it is. And that has to do with more of the homeless thing, which partially drugs, partially mental health That's and true. partially other, other issues. We saw an article recently that said that 75% of the homeless in in one city in L.A. or in California had mental health issues. So I think mental health is a big component of of the homeless problem in California. But I think drugs are also a big part of it because in the homeless camps that you see, drugs are endemic. Wouldn't it make more sense to just go after the people who do things while they're on drugs? They're like like the war on drugs. It's like it's it's legal to drink, but it's not legal to go get drunk and crash a car into stuff. Those are the people who are going to be held accountable. You know, we have uh, these... uh, we have to have lines that if you pass them, you have to uh, have consequences. And I think, you know, think uh, that a lot of what we're talking about is where do we draw the line? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe that we should draw a line that's consistent with the theory of broken windows 
uh, law enforcement because I think uh, when New York became safe uh, during uh, Giuliani's term, I mean, this wasn't Giuliani's idea. It was a, it is a uh, known theory of uh, policing that is uh, taught in criminal justice uh, courses. Uh, it's called broken windows theory. And so I think that if we go to that type of theory where we start with a broken window and we build up from small crimes to big crimes, we'll see a, a drastic decrease of the big crimes. Uh, I, I'm a big supporter of that. And I think that is probably contrary to your theory. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, as a libertarian, you know, property crime is one of the issues that we, you know, you know, if you if you damage somebody's property, that's obviously something that should be taken care of. So I, I, I mean, I agree with that. You know, you know, I said, you know, I hear we got a lot of stuff where people are uh, home invasion robberies. You know, while while they fight the war on drugs, we have rape tests that are that are untested, or rape tests that are untested here, and things like that. But we also got this horrible DA out here, Gascon, who who wants to let everybody out of jail. So well, you know, there, there's some definite reform needed. I, you know, there, that's without a shadow of a doubt. Well, his office has come out in the last couple of years saying, you know, we just have a difference of opinion over who the real victim is. And so, you know, his office believes that the criminal accused of crime is the real victim and not the person who has had a crime committed on them. And I disagree with that. And I, I mean, we can't have a society where we have public safety if that's the theory of criminal ju uh, ju justice. And California is probably a really good example of you know, where we've gone wrong on property crimes. We did, you know, decriminalize so many property crimes. You've now got chain businesses closing across the state or in your urban areas because they can't provide a safe work environment for their employees and because you know, they can't um, they can't make a living because uh, the uh, shoplifting is so high you can't you can't sustain a business when you have $25,000 at least in shoplifting every day and everybody's turning their back on and, you know this all started with oh it's just insured it's property damage right. that's a damage to society and mm -hmm. you know what we're finding now in our urban areas those buildings when we have property damage when we have protests if you want to call them that or our riots if you want to call them that when we have property damage from those and the insurance companies don't pay because they consider it right or the owners don't build back that's a direct damage to the society and it also decreases the tax base tax base and so it decreases the revenue the next year for the for the very people that that you know for the services that that money is intended for and so you and we just see have politicians that are not thinking thinking these things through and they're causing substantial damages all the way through the economy yeah you know jobs lost as well you know those people are you know lost their job people who work at those chain stores because i for people who don't realize it here in here in los angeles uh there's been a few uh i think there's six or seven starbucks just yeah. within Los Angeles area that have closed because they said that, you know, they cannot keep their workers safe in those areas. You know, a couple up in Hollywood, you know, the, the, the very busy areas. And they just they can't, they said they can't keep them safe there. And that, you know, people like to say, oh, it's because they're unionizing, but you know, the people who actually work there say, no, it's, they can't keep us safe. They're moving us to other, other places. Well, you have another example of that in New York where you have the Republican candidate for governor attacked on stage and the systems that have been set up by the state can't even hold the accused in jail. He's immediately released under their bail reform. And so it took the feds coming in and charging him with a federal crime. And then under that, their bail system, you know, they hold probably on average 70 something percent of the people uh, charged. So he got held, but only uh, only because the feds stepped in, the state couldn't do it. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in California. I think the real problem that we're seeing is, you know, we don't know how to process large numbers of people through the urban jails because we just have so many, so much crime going on. And as a result, you know, we're seeing experiments to try alternatives and those are failing and they're failing miserably. You know, in New York, we tried simple release instead of using more surety bonds. And then in Harris County by court order settlement, they tried more. And it's just been a fiasco everywhere it's been tried. And when you give up, I, I tell judges all the time, if you don't care whether somebody comes to court, then you don't need us. And I would argue right now for misdemeanors in Harris County, they don't care whether everybody comes to court because they have a 72% chance their case is going to be dismissed. And it's because they're just being simply released. They have a huge backlog and they can't get cases resolved. So they're end up having them dismissed. I think that's what's happening in our urban areas across the country. Hmm. Do, you, do you see like, some of the things like that in Indiana, John? John you know, I don't, I don't have an answer for, for, you know, prison reform and all this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the broken window theory. 
But I mean, my my biggest problem, and I don't know how to solve it, and I don't know where what could be done about it. But the incarceration rate in the United States is just astronomical in comparison yeah. to, you know, similar countries. And I and I just and I don't understand why that why that is. Okay, well, the U.S. has, I mean, the drugs in the world are being sent to the United States. And if we st- if we start with the proposition that most crime are, is an offshoot or is directly related to drug enterprises, illegal drug enterprises, then suddenly you see we don't have enough people in jail in our urban areas because we've got, in our urban areas, we've got families that have failed, schools that have failed, crimes run- running amok, gangs running amok. You know, I, I did a podcast with the sheriff of uh, Tarrant County, which is Fort Worth, which is the third largest county in the state. He said 80% of the people in my jail share three things, no father in their life, no education, and there's some outside influence, either drugs or gangs. And if we can't get a hold of our urban areas and address those three those three things, then crime will continue to increase. Yeah, I, I really see it as they, they should focus on on like the property crimes, theft and stuff like that. If the, if the jails only had those people in it, it would be a much more manageable system. I mean, because I mean, I speak out of history. You know, I've had the, uh, you know, like I said, I live out here in California. We have legal marijuana, but I still had the cops knock in my door, wake me up with a gun in my face, uh, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, had to post bail uh, for my brother. And they gave us, gave him uh, $8,000 bail uh, on, on a marijuana charge. And, you know, we're in front of the same judge with, that the night stalker saw. And we see just the complete lunacy of that. I mean, you know, the marijuana itself, the plant, nor its actions cause people to cause crimes. The illegality of it, you know, just like money. You know, people rob banks for money. People rob this for money. Uh, they break into houses for money for one reason or another because of the intrinsic value of something. Uh, and that, that's not, I mean, I, I just, I see anytime we're locking up or spending, up, spending time on things without a victim, we, we, we clog the system that should be taking care of the people you're talking about. They're actually doing things, breaking into places, running amok, stealing and robbing and that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I think there's several things to unpack there. And I think the, the first one you've, uh, you've uh, identified is that, you know, there's bail schedules in, in California that are set in every county. And I think the urban areas have a problem with some very high bail schedules, which are uh, examples of a, of a turf war between the sheriff and the judges because the sheriff releases them. And uh, and so they start setting uh, their bail schedules higher. And so I think that reflects a fight between the, the sheriff, uh, or law enforcement and the judges. And I think that should be addressed. But you know, I, I think there are other problems. I think there are problems with marijuana because, you know, we've uh, decriminalized it with the with the uh, hope that we're going to raise a whole bunch of um, tax dollars from it. But now we've made it so difficult for uh, or it's been so heavily regulated that you're seeing a return to the illegal manufacture oh, yeah. of of um of marijuana. And so you're going to see that go back if it's not already it's going back to exactly like it was. And so the the whole um, concept of this is the solution for marijuana has has not been the solution. In fact, it's failed. And that's probably one of the things that we really don't ever talk about is how their big, you know, decriminalization, this is what it was going to do. It did not do that. And again, you're, you're going to hear as we go forward, anytime you're driving under the influence, whether it's alcohol or marijuana, that's not safe. And, you know, uh, we're going to hear you know, once we get out of this euphoria of we need to decriminalize marijuana for all its good things, you're going to hear more of the uh I would say, rational presentation on these issues. And I don't think where we are right now is a rational um, analysis of marijuana. And I agree with you. It may be on the weekend, but it, right now it has a criminal element. And if we're going to have crime, you know, the problem is once you have crime start steamrolling, well, then you got to pick. If you're not going to, if you're not willing to build more jail capacity, then you're going to have to pick what crimes you're going to prosecute. And that's where we are. Uh, you've got jails full of very dangerous people and you've got crime still increasing. Well, if you've got crime increasing, you just will be building more jails because until we until the criminals think they're going to be held accountable, the crime is going to continue to increase because they see that as a green light. That's where we are. Criminals see. And you know who steps into this little void? Who's stepping in and taking advantage of this? Gangs, organized crime, career criminals. 
And we're setting up policies which we're saying, oh, we're going to protect the poor, but we're tying the hands of judges so they can't address gangs, criminal, career criminals, or organized crime. And that's one of the reasons why we've got crime increasing across our urban areas. You're absolutely right. The the way that they legalize it out here, I wouldn't call legalize it because, like I said, you know, it, it is legal here, but they still knocked on my door and came in and got me because what they've done is they've handed it out to their cronies and the things like that. And that has made the, the black market just there because the taxes here are insane. Like it's it's like uh, someplace in the realms of 30 percent, I believe it might be higher within in different areas. Like Santa Monica has even more taxes on it over there. And what they've done is, you know, it's, it's, it's just basic corporatism and, and cronyism that they hand it out to their friends. So California is definitely not a good example of what good legal uh, uh, marijuana should look like or anything else. Because, you know, I mean, I believe in the decriminalization of everything. Uh, mm. You know, the, it, 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 to me, it clogs the system. And, you know, and the, we can't even keep up with the houses here for people. You know, we, can, we got so many reg, uh, regulations here, we can't get housing for people, let alone get more jails. You know, they can't even keep the schools in order here. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. The schools here, you know, again, I, you know, as a libertarian, I'm for more uh, privatized or homeschooling and things like that because the government schooling is just hideous. Uh, and I hate the Department of Education. You know, I think we should start with, you know, the the premise of, you know, are are people essentially good people or, or are they really essentially bad? And, you know, there's philosophies, you know, when you go, you know, I have a political science degree and several other degrees and I went to law school. But, you know, there's philosophies that teach that at our basic sense, when two people meet, we want to fight. We want to fight to get I want to fight you for all your power. You want to fight me for all my power. And the comp and even the Bible teaches that we're essentially bad people and we're saved by grace. And, uh, and then we have uh, then we have. Uh, these concepts of bell reform that says, oh, well, you know, everybody will come to court. Well, I think the lesson of the last five years is no, people won't go to court. If you have a 75% failure to appear, you won't have court because courts can't take place when somebody doesn't show up. They have to put their case on hold until they come back. And and so we're setting up systems that have humongous failure to appear rates, and that prevents us from getting anything resolved. And, and you, you know, society is supposed to be the ultimate compromise where we come together to compromise fighting so that we are can live peacefully and have public safety. What we're seeing now is we're almost going back to a time where, you know, everybody wants to fight everybody for their power, whether it's, you know, cronyism, like you've mentioned, or whether it's just paying people off. I mean, we are now at the point where you would just would say everyone's bad. Everybody's going after whatever you have. If you have something, somebody wants it. And until we get back to maybe, you know, broken windows, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And, you know, California and New York, I, I think we're going to see some interesting things in the upcoming election, because I think this will be the first election where um, identity politics is overcome by public safety. People are going to vote safety over identity for the first time in several election cycles, I hope. I, I really hope identity politics goes the way of the dodo, too, man. I, I hate identity politics. Well, you I know, do, too. To, you know, to me, the, 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 the smallest minority is the individual. Well, uh, but, you know, I mean, we've got some states, and California may be one of them, where we just convinced a whole swab of a vast majority of the state, if you got an R by your name, then you not only don't listen to them, they're, you you can't vote for them, nothing. They have no good ideas. And so whoever has branded that has done a great job. But the problem is when you're a one-party state, you end up going to the extreme of that party. And we need both parties pulled back to the middle. And that's only going to happen if we have uh, if, if we start having elections where we have some shocks. And I think people voting public safety over uh, identity politics may be the shock of this coming election. You know, me as a libertarian out here in California, I'm hoping to kind of knock the GOP off their, uh, off their uh, mark here. Just like I was saying, in Indiana, I think the Libertarian Party is on, on its well on its way to knocking the Democrats off and making them the third party there. Because um, see, I, I'm not a centrist. I I, I, I get because I'm an anarcho-capitalist. You know, I, I'm a capitalist of the of the highest order. I don't, I don't like regulations and all that stuff. And um, to me, I don't want to centralize because that's still people telling other people how they should live. I'm into decentralizing with small groups of people get their own thing. And like I said, so long as they don't you know break my stuff, take my stuff, or hurt somebody, 
we should that that's the way to a civil society, if you ask me. When we try to impose, when the Republicans or Democrats try to impose, you know, their their worldviews, like like just use the Democrats. You know, if you if you disagree with them, you're a fascist, you're racist, and you support, you know, you you might as well go back to the pre Civil War in their eyes. Uh, and you know, Republicans have their outlook on things too that you know like libertarians have always been for like you know uh, lgbtq rights and gay marriage and stuff like that things that supposedly the left has always been for but you know just uh that idea of individuality where if you just allow somebody that freedom you know people talk about religion god gave everybody uh free will i don't find it to be government's place to take that free will away from them so long as they don't hurt anybody let me make a point and i think it's i'm intentionally not saying that this is my point but let me make a point mm -hmm. that i've read in a recent article and it was the point was what if this whole thing about trump what if the whole attack, constant attack on Trump is only because he has made such inroads into Hispanic voters and black voters? And so the Democrat Party had to kill him politically because they couldn't survive if that growth in voters continued. Now, I'm not saying that that's true or that explains everything. But if you look at it, I mean, let's say we've got one party that probably believes that pretty much. You've got another party that thinks Trump is a total crook. And you have... Nobody that is willing to compromise. I've said for a while that a democracy can't survive except from the consent of the defeated. Right now, we have one party on the left that every time they lose, they refuse to con concede. They refuse to uh, consent to be governed by the winner. They call it illegitimate. They call it uh, that the election was stolen. And as long as we continue to do that, we are in for a rough time because we can't have just the just one side of the one side of the political spectrum consenting to be governed by the winning party when there's uh when they lose if if that continues then both losing parties will eventually refuse to consent and that's what starts civil wars and you can see the elements of that you know where where like January 6th you have one side having protests and the other side just comes up up in arms well four years before that there was the corresponding stuff and protests in Washington DC and fires and nobody said anything about that you you don't see anything about that today and so I think that you have to look at everything that's happening with a grain of salt. You have to take a step back and say, is this political? I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, I, after everything we've gone through in the last two years, and then we've got 90 days before election, 18 months into the new presidency, and they suddenly decide to uh, raid pre uh, former President Trump's house for stuff that the archives went to see six months ago. Uh, it's just two plus two doesn't equal four there. What equals is we've got an upcoming election and they're wanting to influence it. And I would even argue even more strongly that you've got uh, a former president who's having vast influence on the primaries and they just got too much. And so I think there's a lot of support for we have one party wants to kill the leader of the other party before the upcoming election, killing politically uh, to get a short term gain in the election. And if that's really where we are, it's a sad time. It's going to take us a long time to recover from that. Yeah, you know, exactly I, like the on, Republican sounded uh, when Barack Obama was president. It's exactly. It's just the same thing. It's just more of the same old, same old. But if you think that one side's better than the other, I think that you're part of the problem. I do agree with what you said. You know, I do think Rush Limbaugh was the very first person. And, you know, he was very it was uh, that I ever recall saying, hey, uh, Barack Obama was illegitimate or, I, I, you know, he shouldn't have won or he wouldn't have won if he wasn't black. And so I agree with you to a certain extent. But I would say, you know, I, but I do hold strong, hold fast with we can't function as a society without the consent of the losing party in election. And if we are now in a period where neither party consents to be governed by the winner, we're in a problem. We got a problem. You know, they also have the corporate media, too. It's very fascist. And it, it, it did. It did throw out a lot of lies. You know, I'm, I'm no Trump supporter, but they did they did uh, say a lot of things that ended up being false for four years while he was president. Uh, you know, I don't and, and I, I do believe that they're timing out this thing in Mar-a-Lago. I don't know. You know, I believe most of our, you know, as a libertarian, I think they all do horrible things and they probably should all go to prison for something. Uh, but I, I think I, I don't believe in this. I mean, I think of what Chuck Schumer said 
I think it was right when Trump was getting ready to be elected or something like that. He, he said the CIA and the FBI will find some way to screw him. And that's pretty much verbatim what he said. And, let's tie uh, this. Let's not tie this into what we're talking about. I, I, yeah. It's almost like identity politics has overcome rationality, and all of our policies tie into identity politics. So, it, so bail reform. We have to look at it from the party in power, and they have to do it in a certain way to keep their supporters in line. And you know, we've also had cycles of elections in the last. You know, how many cycles where we've had some scandal? You know, six months before an election, we've had protests. Well, this is the first time we've not seen that, and I think it's because. Maybe some of those were political and they would backfire if they did it now. It's not like they haven't had something that they could point to. And mm -hmm. so I think politics is overplaying everything. You see that on the right side as well. You could argue that the abortion rights issue is, is a, is, is only looked through, look, is seen through a specific prism on the opposite side of the spectrum. And so you've got policies where we can't find what works. We have to look at it through identity politics. And I think that, and especially in our urban areas, is what's killing us on criminal justice reform and bail reform. We're putting out policies that are just tying the hand of our judges so they can't even address the real criminal elements. And you even see that so many other things. You see that in our uh, border where we're tying the hand of uh, border officers and so they can't address even the criminal elements so that, and, and it's just uh, across the spectrum you see it over and over again where we're taking actions that are actually doing the opposite of what they're intended and then you see this inflation fighting bill they call it always oh, a you know it's going to fight inflation when all the mm -hmm. experts says it's the exact opposite and mm -hmm. so day is night night is day and um, i think we're going to be in this place for a little while until the politics works it out yeah and but don't forget we're not in a recession either <laughs> yeah well yeah, you they, know, they definitely got some new speak going on I mean, I would have never dreamed that we would be in a country where a president could say we're not in a recession and the mainstream media would jump into it and say that. And then just and then if you want to know how how awful this reaction is, just imagine if, if the other party was in office and they tried to do the same thing and mm -hmm. what their reaction would be and how they would belittle that party. And then you realize, you know, we've got a real problem. And until we until we start focusing on the real problem, it's going to continue to get worse. And so in our urban areas, the real problem is crime is going up. And if crime is going up because drugs are a problem and because uh, the criminal, you know, career criminals and organized crime and gang members are taking over those areas, then we're going to have to build more jail capacity until we get that under control. We we have to put more people in jail until we get it under control before it will start coming down. People have to know they're going to be held accountable before they'll start complying. And if, if they don't, then they won't. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's uh, let's take a little break and come back and uh, and uh, see if John has something to say about like the bail reform, like how it's going in Indiana and stuff like that. Because uh, I, you know, I already uh, I already said what I thought about that. So we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Free People is the title track to my new album. Please check it out wherever you listen to music. This album is full of libertarian themed songs like Tax Man, Which Side Are You On, Don't Tread On Me and Take Human Action. A nod to the Mises Caucus, and all the royalties to that song will be given to the Mises Caucus. So the more you listen, the more you give. So please support music with a libertarian theme, and let's build some libertarian culture and get rid of this garbage from the left.
35 years later, I had to step in and have her declared incompetent. And then I was her guardian for the rest of her life. And she was living in an assisted living facility where they regulated her drugs. And for the very first time in her entire life, since she had this problem, she was doing better than she had done in 30 years. And the only way we can have the authority to make people comply with that is with the threat of jail. We can't, if we're a, a free society, we can't make drug users stop using drugs. We can give them the opportunity to, but the only way we can put pressure on them and make them go to drug rehab is if we have the threat of, of, of jail time. And so because of my personal experience with my, my sister, I, I still believe we have to have criminal laws for prescription drug abuse. Uh, and and I, I'm not saying I disagree with some of the things that you said about the establishment, but I mean, you know, this is a war. It's a war between the drugs and the family. And I'm, you know, sorry to say for 30 something years, we lost that war. And then by the time I got hold of her and got her strung out, the rest of the family had already written her off and wouldn't have anything to do with her. And so, so well, let me, can I well, you come back on that just a little bit? So sure. I, I am in agreement with you on some level because as a criminal defense attorney, I often have families come up to me and say, I tried everything. It's just best for him, this person to be in jail for a period of time so that they can sober up and because um, they've tried everything else. And that's the only way for them to hit, hit rock bottom. My problem is that there are people who use it recreationally, who aren't causing any problems, uh, who are healthy. You know, Willie Nelson has been very successful. He's now caught up in his taxes. He's from Austin, Texas. Who am I to say that marijuana or any other drug is wrong for every single person? You have to be pretty smart to know that. Clearly, it wasn't right for your sister, and it's not right for other people. But, you know, getting long periods of, of sentences in jail um, for recreational use for people who aren't doing any other type of harm it doesn't make any sense. I think that if a person is truly an addict, eventually they'll run foul of the law in some other way, right. not just being uh, using or possessing drugs. You know, they'll be trespassing, they'll be intoxicated, bothering someone in public, uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think this goes to the very uh, issue that I keep pointing coming back to is that we have honorable policies with a good intention, but in in, in implementing those policies, we're tying the hands of judges so they can't. So they have less discretion, not more. We need to be giving them more discretion about so that they can address those problems. And maybe we need to give them some direction on, like you said, in the situations where, uh, you know, the people are, are, are not causing problems. But but by by implementing policies like you're suggesting, we're actually tying the hands of the judges so they can't address my situation. And uh, the people, you know, the, the, the people that are like my sister, in those situations would be mandated to be released to just carry on and do what they're doing. And I think that's wrong. So, so I, I practice criminal defense, as I mentioned, and I do some public defender work. And at one point, um, I had a client that had seven open cases at one time. They were all misdemeanor cases, but he was on probation for three different cases, and he had four new criminal cases pending. And so I tried to go to jail to meet with my client, and I'm not there. Uh, he's not there, and I found out that he bonded out for $250 cash. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not surprising anyway, he had eight case before uh, he showed up for any type of court date. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you when it comes to um, bond schedule. Our, what they've kind of gone through in here in Indiana is more of a cash bond, so they have that money to pay for um, some services that don't work and court costs and uh, to pay the police and that sort of thing. So well, it's more I'm, about money. And as they have a bail bondsman, then they don't get any money back, and there's no money for those things. Well, I am familiar with Indiana and their bail reform, and I am familiar about their uh, their 10 percent or to the bondsman or to the court. And, and I am I'm kind of opposed to the 10 percent to the court, and the reason and I and I'm opposed to it for two reasons. Number one, then courts become uh, relying upon it for fun uh, funding their their infrastructure, and number two, you know when you uh, when you use a, a release mechanism where the court just lets you go, uh, the failure to appear rate is so much higher. Like you said, you had a client he he didn't come back until he got another case. Uh, that's what you see. I mean, uh, what what we what our 
friends in, in the uh, our politicians don't realize is you know if you're using a surety bond for temp, you know that has a ten percent failure to appear rate, and you go to you know ten uh, percent to the court and it has a forty percent failure to appear rate. Well, suddenly you need at least a third more courts to be able to. Um, process the same number of cases because of the higher failure to appear rate and your backlog is going to build over time if you're not careful just because of your release mechanism. And I think our politicians are short-sighted and they don't realize that. They go, oh, they're told, oh, well, if you don't, if this guy's not in jail, you can say, we're going to save $30 a day for every day they're not in jail, which is only true if they close a pod because we still have the same number of employees working for the county. We're just saving the food we're feeding them. But the problem is if we are suddenly have a substantially, uh, uh, a substantial increase in the failure to appear rate, well, then the, the whole justice system slows down, and we can't get cases resolved. Yep. If they think if the if the judges have more more room to uh, you know make their own decisions, doesn't that get into like judicial activism? Like you know, you could have one person you know go walk away for something, and the other person go to jail for ten years for the same thing, depending on what the judge does. It is a problem in some areas, and you see where. Um, you know, uh, Soros and his uh, political action committee is getting involved in those types of races for that very reason. But if we are taking politics out of it, I, I think if we're if we're going to say what's in the best interest of the criminal justice system, the best interest is to take not tie the hands of the judges, but to give them more discretion so that they can address the criminal element, the big the big criminal element uh, like gangs. And we don't want to put uh, uh, policies in place that tie their hands so they can't, uh, just because we want to make sure that a few poor people uh, aren't held in jail. When I would argue we don't really have any poor people, first time offenders being held in jail. And if they're not first time offenders anymore, they're not in jail because they're poor. They're in jail because they have a criminal record. Mm -hmm. So what, like, so you, I know you write articles and stuff like that, but you, you also, as a bail bondsman, how does your business work then? Like, well, can I'm, you explain to people, like, how that works? Yes, I can explain how it works, but I'm not a bondsman. I'm an attorney who represents bondsmen. Oh, okay. But, you know, I've done podcasts with, uh, you know, what the heck do bondsmen do, you know, on the Bell uh -huh. Post, which is our podcast, uh, which is thebellpost.com. But, you know, the reason why bondsmen have such a lower failure to appear rate is because we get the families involved, and also we do a very high level of, of, of reporting. They have to report to us, and depending on the type of charge they have, they may have to report using an app. They may have to come uh, report with over the telephone. They may have to come to our office. They may have to come once a week. They may have to come twice a week. And then, uh, and then you know, that we tell, we give them when their court date is and if we find out there's a problem they're not going to get to court we go get them and take them to court if they don't have a ride and you know the government doesn't have any infrastructure that can do that not on a, on a big scale basis and then once someone fails to appear for court you know like in texas there's an incentive for the bondsman if you get them back within a certain time so their case gets back on track then you get the bit you get a benefit from that you still pay money to the county it's just not the whole amount if you can't get them back then you're going to pay the full face amount of the bond to the county and what you have in in uh, california what you have in a lot of other states is when you're using court 10 percent or just a, a personal bond when they fail to appear they just issue a warrant it goes down to the warrant division with the tens of thousands of other warrants waiting to be served and i saw a study one time that said in those situations 80 percent of those people have to commit another crime to come back into the system now hopefully it's just a traffic stop but it can be a substantial other crime it can be a drug crime it can be uh, a violent crime because they get scared and that's probably the biggest benefit that pop people don't realize bondsmen have. And that is when they fail to show up, we have a personal relationship with them. We can explain to them, hey, this is what you can expect. Let's get you back on track. Let's get you back to court. And because of that trust, we can get them to go back to court quicker than they don't know anybody. They're scared. They hide or they start running. How much do you think is a reasonable bail for, like, say, a nonviolent? Uh, well, you know, Texas just did a, uh, a big... Uh, change in their uh, uh, bail reform laws. And what they did, the number one change they did was you have to review their criminal history. So I think if they don't have a criminal history, uh, I think the bail should be one amount, should be low. But if they have a substantial criminal history, then I think that the bail should reflect that. And the problem, like, you know, John mentioned is if you've got somebody that's got six or seven current charges pending, then that's someone who has a problem and that their bail needs to be a different amount. What we've got right now, like Harris County, the district attorney said their jail is full. 
They just asked for an additional $25 million to ship people because they have uh, non unsustainable jail overcrowding. But she said their jail is full of very dangerous people. And Crime Stoppers is monitoring. They're tracking 170-something people or more who the defendant was out either on a low bond or he was out on a personal bond for murder, and he's committed another murder. And so, you know, some people are arguing that in Harris County, you get one free murder like you get like a dog gets one free bite. That's how bad it is. And and it's going to get worse. The jail crime overcrowding is going to get worse before it gets better. And it's because we've got judges who think, but we just got to release them. That's what we need to do. That's what we should be doing because it's not their fault until um, that's that's not criminal justice. That's that's what breeds more crime. Did they let a lot of people out of jail because of COVID there, too? They, tr they did, and they tried to do even more, and the governor got involved, and he issued what we call Executive Order 13, which limited the use of PR bonds for certain violent offenses, and that went up to the Fifth Circuit, and it was upheld as constitutional, because under the Texas Constitution, the only type of release that is protected by the Texas Constitution is uh, released by surety, which is the private industry, and so the Fifth Circuit held that what the if it's not protected by the Constitution, what the legislature gives, the legislature can take away. And so that was one of the cornerstones of the bail reform that was enacted in the last session. They limited to the use of PR bonds, personal bonds for violent offenses. Mm -hmm. So hey, I, I, got a, I got a question. Um, is uh, is this whole failure to appear issue, is it is it just like a, um, a new phenomenon or is it something that's been going on for years and years and years? It's been going on for years and years and years because, you know, I mean, the bonding community or the private industry has been around for 200 years, uh, but we've had other pushes to get rid of the bail industry. You know, we went through the same thing in the 60s where, oh, it's just not fair. It's not constitutional. We need to get. But the problem is there's nothing to replace the industry with that does anything near as good of a job as it, as it, as it currently does. And so that's the reason why you're seeing crime go up and you're seeing a failure to appear skyrocket because we're replacing a proven system and we're trying stuff that are, that's just showing that it is not working. And, and New York, it's just a complete failure. And uh, they've, they've rolled it back twice now. They'll probably roll it back again after the next election. And so you, you would say we are, we just, from a policy standpoint, we're getting a push to get rid of the bail industry, but we're replacing it with something that's not proven, doesn't work. And it's caught, that's why we're seeing these terrible results. And uh, you're now starting to see people uh, acknowledge, like the DA in Harris County saying, the bail reform that we did is causing crime to increase. Yeah, I mean, the, the system is definitely broke. I, I don't think, uh, I wouldn't call the system that we have uh, showing that it has worked. Because, you know, like we've said, you know, we believe like the war on drugs is a big part of the system being broke. <clears throat> but also not hold people accountable when they do things. Like, out here we have the homeless thing, and, you know, the sheriff was fighting, Sheriff, Sheriff Nueva was fighting, you know, about the mandates. He wasn't going to back those up. He was going to worry about people who were, uh, you know, basically destroying parks and beaches and stuff like that. Uh, so the whole system just seems like it's just completely on its head. It is, and, and I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, I, I will say this. The people have asked me, what's the compromise here? And I question whether there is a compromise. Because right now, if you look across the country, you would say the compromise that people are trying is we won't do anything on misdemeanors and we'll concentrate on the violent uh, uh, the violent felonies. And that's been a failure. In fact, I would say if that's your compromise, then today's misdemeanors is the breeding ground for tomorrow's felonies. You're just giving them a green light. And when they finally cross the line, you've actually made it much worse for them. So that's not the compromise. And I don't know if there is a compromise on this issue because you got to have you got to feel safe. you got to have public safety. And if you're trying to limit guns, but at the same time, you will not provide a safe community for me, then we're, 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 we're heading for a collision. You know, as a libertarian, I sit back and I see, you know, the conservative side and the so-called liberal side. Uh, and I, I see, I see that I see what they have to say. And I would say the compromise is really libertarianism in that sense. You know, if you break my stuff, if you steal somebody's stuff, if you do this violent thing, then you get the full force of, you know, the, the, the jurisdiction which you live in. Uh, are, are and, you and, and, def and definitely, I am, I'm for absolutely no gun control. I so, don't believe in any gun control. 
So are you saying that we can have illegal drugs brought into the country and then sold, but if nobody gets hurt, if they take the money and then they take it out of the country, that because no one has, uh, no one is killed through a drug overdose, that that would be, we shouldn't have crime or any accountability for that in, in our country? I don't think, I don't I think just, drugs would be illegal. Hmm. Here's my point on that. We've tried the experiment in California. And so what are they doing? They're going back to the black market. And so in the black market, they're doing a whole bunch of illegal activity to get it to market. And so I think that so much of our crime today, I, I agree with an article I read, so much of our crime, 80% of our crime today is an offshoot of some part of the drug trade. And if, if we're giving up on drugs, crimes, we're giving up on all crime. Yeah, no, I agree with that statement. I just think I look at it from a different point of view. It's not the drugs. It's the, it's the war on drugs. You know, when we you, when you have a war, you are going to have conflict. You can't have resolution during that war. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, overall, we, we I think we see the same problem, just we have a little bit different uh, opinions on it. It's good to have a civil discussion about it because, you know, that, that's something you can't have a lot of places these days. I agree. So, did, uh, did John or Steve, did you have any other questions? No. No. All right. Um, nope. So where, where can people uh, reach you? We'll, we'll put a link to your uh, to the that you sent me. I'll put that in the details. But where can people reach you, like on Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, any articles that you've written that you want people to see? Um, so um, our website is pbtx.com, which is the professional bondsman of Texas. We have a blog that's available on, on, the, on that website. We also have um, a, a podcast called The Bell Post, which is thebellpost.com. Uh, we have a lot of different criminal justice issues on there. We've talked to judges. We've talked to sheriffs. We've talked to bondsmen, of course. We've talked to uh, elected representatives looking for uh, how things are working and how they're not working and what, what does work. And um, on Facebook, uh, uh, I think we have the professional bondsman of Texas there and on Twitter. All right, great. Um, you know, somebody you might be interested in having on your podcast is a uh, uh, Judge Jim Gray. He was a uh, he, he was a vice president candidate in 2012 for Libertarians, and uh, he's a uh, I think it was a circuit judge out here in California, uh, and he he's into uh, criminal justice reform. So he might be a, somebody you might have, might be an interesting conversation for your show. That'd be great. Yeah, so you might want to reach out to him, and uh, you know I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, did you did you have any final statements you want to make uh, other than uh, you have to give out your info? No, I would just say thank you very much for having me. I agree with what you just said about we're, we're I'm all about having a civil conversation. It's hard some places to go to have a civil conversation sure where you, just, you give your point and then everybody st somebody stands up and says you're an idiot, you're stupid, <laughs> you're racist, and so nobody should listen to you. And so I'm always looking for an intelligent conversation. If you tell me we're going to have a civil conversation, I'll go anywhere. And yeah. uh, because I, I, just, I don't mind um, debating issues, but I can't I, I can't out racist you or I can't <laughs> out yell you. And, and I won't do that. Yeah. Well, again, I appreciate it. You know, in the future, you're going to reach back out to us uh, and uh, talk about uh, what you got going on. I appreciate right. you coming on the show. Nice well, to meet you. Nice yeah. to meet you, guys. I yeah. feel like I'm surrounded by lawyers, but then I'm a lawyer, too. But thanks, guys. It was very nice to meet you. Yeah, John's, John's the only lawyer. I'm a musician. Ah, ah. <laughs> a school teacher. Nope. So, all right, all right, you guys well, take care. Yeah, thank you very much. And I want everybody to keep listening to the show. Make sure you rate, review, share it wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you know, uh, check out my album, Free People, wherever you listen to music and spread uh, liberty with music. And you can uh, follow me on Twitter at at Mad Sean Osborne, and I'm also on Facebook at This Might Make You Mad. Uh, so peace to everybody and uh, freedom for everybody. See you on the next episode.